Hello and welcome to the Speaking For Him podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison, and each and every week I have the opportunity of being your host for this dose of encouragement on the journey that we call the Christian life. Because the Christian life is a marathon and not a sprint and we need each other. Well, you may or may not be aware that this past week we just passed the 51st anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision which made abortion legal basically for any reason in all 50 states. And it really changed the landscape of America because an amendment, the 14th Amendment, that was once used to save lives and establish personhood was being used to disprove personhood and to give women the right to to kill their babies. That's the first thing I want to say is I'm not going to skirt away from that language. Abortion is murder because if you did not have a living being in your body, you would not need abortion. The liberals like to call it reproductive health and they say that they're fighting for reproductive health or they're doubling down on reproductive health. But the reality is you would not need an Abortion, unless you had already reproduced. So let's get that out of the way, first of all. I want to let you know off the top here, too, that this issue of the sanctity of human life has been a major issue for me even before I started speaking for him. My family has always been a Christian family, and my parents have raised me in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, they've always taught me that children are important. They've taken me to pro-life events growing up, and I thought that I was as pro-life as they come. You know, I, I thought I'm totally pro-life. This is something that's very important, and I can't imagine being more passionate about life. Then I went to work for Right to Life of Michigan, and I tell people that I came off that experience, the decade of working there, being 500% more pro-life. And what I mean about that is that whether we are on the liberal side, trying to say that this is just about reproductive health, or on the conservative side, trying to save babies, it's one thing to talk about it in words, and one thing to talk about it in a sanitized way. But it's another thing to see the rubber meet the road. It's another thing to see the videos of the unborn babies and to see how alive they are and to see the technology that allows us to affirm the life of these unborn children. You see, in the 1970s, there may have been at least a part of us that could rationalize that an unborn baby isn't a baby. We no longer have that privilege in 2024. We actually have to say that we are okay with women being able to kill babies in order to say that abortion is okay because we can affirm through ultrasound and even 3D ultrasound that the baby is in fact alive. Anyway, back to my story. I worked for Right to Life, as I said, for a decade and through that process... I realized even more how important the sanctity of human life is. I have talked about this a lot on the podcast, and I have brought to mind several times the fact that without the right to life, no other rights matter. And so I really want to spend some time discussing with you the sanctity of human life today and giving you an update about where we stand as a nation post Roe versus Wade. In June 2022, the Dobbs decision made it possible for the states to decide what to do with abortion. And so the 50 states have, over the last several years, even before this Roe decision fell, been choosing sides and making decisions about what their state would do with this issue. Now, the saddest thing to me is, as a Michigan resident, I am very ashamed of what went down in our state. 
for years and years, including all the years that I was at Right to Life, Michigan would always get an F rating from the National Abortion Action League. And that was something to be proud of. Usually you're not proud of F's. Usually you want to do better and at least, you know, get a B in most of the things that you do. But in the case of being anti-abortion, Michigan relished in that F because we worked very hard to affirm the sanctity of human life. And then, with Roe falling, people with a clear agenda of death put forth Proposal 3, which basically legalized abortion in all its facets in the state of Michigan, and then rescinded officially the 1931 anti-abortion law that was on the books here in the state. Between these two actions, abortion is pretty much legal at any time for any reason within our state. And we have a governor that not only supports that, but relishes it when she gets up to speak. Talks about how important it is for her that women have the right to choose in our state. And I just grieve every time I hear that. Because I think of all the babies that are not going to get a chance to see it tomorrow because of that. We have seen between 65 million and 70 million babies die at the hand of abortionists since 1973. And that's with the recorded stats. Abortion is the most underregulated service as far as having to report. And so any states that do report the the stats might not even be accurate to the full number. But what I do know is one abortion is too many. So how do we respond to this? Well, first of all, we as Christians need to take it back to the basics. And the basics say that in Genesis chapter 1, at the creation of the world, God said, let us... Make man in our image and after our likeness. And then it says, God made them male and female. When it talks about the creation of Adam, it talks about God speaking all of creation into existence. But when it came to creating mankind, what did he do? It says that he made man from the dust of the ground and he breathed in to man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now, some people will use the first breath argument to say that a baby isn't a baby until it draws its first breath outside of the womb. But they're making a extreme leap there because the reality is that there were no opportunities for human reproduction with the first human. The first human was made as a fully grown adult. And so his beginning is going to be different than the beginning of his offspring. The reality is that the book of Psalms says, You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We also read in Jeremiah 1.6, Before I formed thee in the womb, I knew thee. So God has a plan for each and every human life that he allows to begin. And at the time of conception, all of the DNA that will grow into this baby is present. Within two or three weeks, a heartbeat is present. And so, why would we want to be like President Obama, who when he was asked about the issue of abortion, he said, the moment that a life becomes a life is above my pay grade. If that is true, 
President Obama, then it would behoove you to err on the side of caution. And as I've said many times before, I feel like the church often has their own difficulties and issues with treating children the way that God would have them be treated. And I will certainly talk about that as we go forward. But before we go too much further, I want to share with you our quote of the day. Our quote of the day actually comes from John Calvin, who, as you know, is a theologian and he is a forefather of the Reformers movement. He's one of the early Reformers, one of the early leaders of the church after the Protestant Reformation. And here is what John Calvin said about unborn life. The fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being and it is a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it has come to light. And again, this is a guy who walked the earth hundreds of years ago, and yet he understood the sanctity of human life. Because the Bible points to it. I've already given you a couple of examples. So, the status that we have here in the United States is that the 2022 Supreme Court decision Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization overturned Roe, taking away the right to abortion. Now, the summary that I read said taking away the constitutional right to abortion, but even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the late Supreme Court justice, acknowledged that there was no constitutional right to abortion based on Roe. The Constitution gives us the way to make a law. There's actually three very distinct ways in which we make laws here in the United States. We can do a petition drive to put a proposal on the ballot. That's usually a state-level law. And then when it goes on the ballot, people can vote for it. So the people get to decide the law in that way. Or we can do a constitutional amendment, which means that two-thirds of the 50 states have to agree that they want this to be enshrined in the Constitution and they vote on it as a legislature and they come away with an amendment if they get enough votes. Now, it's been years since we've amended the Constitution, but that is the way that we can do it. The third and most likely way for something to become law in our country, especially federally, is for the legislature, the House and the Senate, to put together a bill for a particular issue, to vote on that bill, and then for the president to sign it, or possibly to have enough votes to override a veto, either on the state level from the governor or on the federal level from the president. Those are the three ways to make a law, and the Roe versus Wade decision did not fulfill any of those three requirements. So it's laughable to me that this is considered a change in the Constitution because you can look all you want, you won't find the right to an abortion within the Constitution. And as I said, the amendment that they used was actually an amendment that judges used against women having an abortion uh, because it's a personhood amendment that was initially enacted to acknowledge that our African-American brethren who were slaves in our country were 100% human. And then to have 
that same amendment used to take away the humanity of the unborn is just very sad, but it is a reality. So I'm not going to go through each and every single state and its individual law, but I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of what we're facing here in the pro-life movement. I'm going to start with Michigan because it's where I live. It's where my heart is. And it's been a rough couple of years for us. Um, Proposal 3, which we voted on last year, made abortion legal in Michigan basically for any reasons. Uh, There was some kind of ambiguous exceptions to it, but again, they were not defined enough to actually be exceptions. So basically we're looking at abortion uh, being available at any time in pregnancy for any reason. One of the dangerous things you might not know is that even some laws that deal with women having a health exception and being able to get an abortion if they're not in perfect health, even in those cases, sometimes those states have a broad definition of what health means. It could mean mental health, it could mean financial health, uh, it could mean emotional health. So we're not just talking about a physical risk uh, to the baby. And if you look at the stats, the reality is that only about 2% of abortions ever are done for either health of the mother as far as physical health or rape and incest exceptions. That's the reality. The other thing I will mention too is that the age of viability, which some of these states have as the benchmark for when an abortion is no longer allowed, is very ambiguous to a lot of people. But babies are surviving younger and younger, and technology does not allow us to dehumanize the unborn baby any longer. So allow me to share with you some of the stats regarding abortion in our country now. Uh, There's about 14 states that have aggressive bans on abortion that are enforceable because Roe is no longer in place. Some of these states include Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, among others. So there is hope because we have 14 out of 50 states where you cannot just get an abortion. And for the most part, it is restricted. Some of them have different age requirements of the unborn baby, but it's pretty solid. Then we have another collection of states that have that still have restrictions, but not as tight of restrictions as the ones I just mentioned to you. And a couple of those are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Nebraska, North Carolina. So, again, some good things happening as far as that goes. And I'm not just going to sit here and read all of the states because that would be boring podcasting, but I'm going to encourage you to go to CNN and look at this article and get the information for yourself. Uh, This was accurate as of January of last year, so it could be a little bit changed from now, but this is basically what we are um, talking about. Some of these say that you can get an abortion up to six weeks, Some of these say you can get an abortion up to 18 or 24 weeks. It just depends on the state. And then we have 29 states that basically say that you can have an abortion for any reason with little to no exception. And I think that's the saddest thing of all to me is that Over half of the United States allow that. And I don't really know what to say other than it grieves me 
because it grieves the heart of God. And I don't think people really know what they're allowing when they have the mindset that this is okay. I also don't think that they realize the full implications of what is actually happening because they've sanitized the whole process. They talk about it as if it's a mundane medical procedure. I think of when I had my wisdom teeth out in my early 20s because at some point in the process, before I had my wisdom teeth out, I had to watch like a 20 to 40 minute video about all of the things that will happen to me physically during the time that my wisdom teeth are taken out and some of the risks involved. And I remember being a little freaked out by that video, but also thankful that they told me all of the issues. I also remember having a similar consultation with my surgeons when I had back surgery as a teenager. Again, Everything should go well, but should it not go well, you could be paralyzed or have something else that is completely and totally life-changing that happens on the operating table. So you need to be aware of the risks and acknowledge them. But we don't have that approach to abortion. We just tell our young women that it is completely safe, that it's a medical procedure, that it's a matter of the right to choose. And now we're in a place, with it being over 50 years since we legalized this barbaric procedure, that we're even getting to the point where there are grandparents who are not here because of abortion. And I know a lot of times when people think about kids, they think about them being overpopulated, and that we don't need any more, and why should people keep having kids? But I think it's because their mindset is they're takers. That if you have more kids, they're just going to take from the resources of the planet. But what about the givers? What about the scientists? What about the doctors? What about the people that come up with cures for cancer or other diseases? Who knows what bright minds we have slaughtered in the name of convenience because we know a better way. And this is why I say to the church, please evaluate the way that you feel about children. Because a lot of times, the reasons that the church gives for not having children, and the reasons that the world gives for not having children aren't that much different. That's a scathing indictment, I realize. It may be a tough thing to hear, but can I challenge you? If you are waiting to have children, and I'm not saying if you don't have children because you haven't been able to have children, I'm saying if you are consciously waiting to have children, what's the reason? Is it because you're waiting until you get the next raise? Is it because you're waiting until you finish school for the career that you want? Is it because you're waiting until you get the partnership at the law firm? Is it because you're hoping um, for more savings set aside? Whatever that reason is, it boils down to one main thing. When it's convenient, I will have a child. Do you realize that the Bible says that one of the few things that you can actually take with you when you go to heaven is your children? And I firmly believe that if you buy into the world's philosophy of 1.8 to 3 children, you will be missing out on some of God's richest blessings. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have 6 children or that if you have 2 children, you're a bad person. 
But what I am saying is we need to improve our view of children. and We need to bring it into line with what God says about children. And children are a blessing. In Psalm 127, it says, Children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. How did we go from a place in Genesis where barrenness is considered a punishment and in fact sometimes was a punishment to the point that barrenness is a blessing as I said even sometimes in the church. That's a lot to think about. You know, there's a lot of people that fight to make abortion illegal, and I am wholeheartedly for that. I am excited that there are places in the United States where abortion is not allowed. But our biggest call as believers today is not to make abortion illegal. Our biggest call is to create a culture around us that says abortion is unthinkable. That says if you have a crisis pregnancy, if you have a baby that you can't bring to term yourself without help, then there is help available to you. There are so many people, people that I know personally, that would love to love and raise a baby. If this podcast is somehow reaching the ears of someone who is in a crisis pregnancy, please, please, please realize that if this baby cannot be cared for by you at this time, that you could be used by God to make someone else's dreams come true. And if you allow someone else's dreams come true and they become the parents of your child, then your child's dreams can come true as well. Please, please, please consider this. This is so important. Again, we all face the challenge of making sure that our life does not become so compartmentalized that we don't think about the ramifications of our actions. We don't realize often the impact that one person could have. A few weeks ago during the holiday season, I did a classic movie review of It's a Wonderful Life, and the whole premise of that film is that George Bailey spends his life not doing anything important as far as he knows. But then when he reaches rock bottom and he reaches his greatest crisis moment, he's given the opportunity to see what life would be like without him. And he realizes that he impacted so many lives. His children would not exist without him. The many people that his brother Harry had saved when he shot down the enemy transport died because Harry wasn't there to save them. And so all those families were affected. And I realize this is a fictional construct. But I think about this in regards to my own life and struggling with my disability of cerebral palsy. The fact that if I was able-bodied, how much would change around me? Yes, there are times when I wish I could walk. But I think that the things that I've been able to accomplish and the people 
that I've been able to touch and the experiences that I have been able to have have been worth having this temporary physical trial. And I'm of the mindset that if you change one thing about my past, then everything about the future will be different. Because everything is woven together in life. We don't do anything in a vacuum. If you think it's right for a woman to have an abortion, then you are in fact saying that if my daughter gets pregnant, she can abort my grandchild. If my daughter gets pregnant, she can get rid of her future children who could have a tremendous impact on the future. And I think we need to think about big picture stuff. I mean, the other thing we have to face is if something is morally wrong, it's wrong no matter who does it. Because I know there can be pressure to stand up for life and then when something happens in your own life, make an exception. But a baby's life does not become less of a life because of the circumstances surrounding it. My life is not valuable because my parents wanted me despite my disability. My life is valuable because I was made in the image of God. That's why we need to go back to the basics. If you believe that children were made in the image of God, as the Bible says, if you believe that you and I were made in the image of God, as the Bible says, then you cannot be a Christian and be pro-abortion. That is just reality. That is just the truth. And one of the problems that we have in our culture today is we are so divorced from absolute truth that we say, well, your truth is your truth, and maybe your truth says that life matters, but my truth doesn't. But the Bible says there's only one truth. And here's what I know. What I know is that we were made in the image of God, that God breathed into us the breath of life and made us a living soul and that we are called to be fruitful and multiply and to spread the word of God to our children and our children's children. That is the call of life to the Christian. And so I don't know what state you live in, or maybe if you're listening from outside the country, I don't know what position your country takes on abortion. But as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg of you to consider what the Bible says about life. It doesn't matter what the people around us say. It doesn't matter how many justifications you make for the practice of abortion. Because we can all justify wrongdoing in our lives. What matters is that we live for the Lord and put Him first. And the whole driving force behind speaking for him 
is to encourage the church to do just that. To live for God and for each other. There's an often used acronym, which I think is applicable here. And it simply says this, Jesus and others and you. And I think that's a very important thing that we can apply to this issue. Because ultimately, abortion is an issue of selfishness. Because the woman who is going to abort their child either is doing so because of their own selfishness because I don't want a baby to mess up my life right now, or they're being pressured to do so because of someone else's selfishness. I don't want to be a father right now, so you need to go and get an abortion. There are actually some states in our country with laws on the books that seek to curtail this kind of abortion. It's called a coercion abortion. Because no one should be coerced to end the life of their child. Especially when the pregnancy is the result of a criminal act. You know, a lot of people say, well, you need to have a rape and incest exception because someone should not be forced to carry the child of their rapist or their family member who committed incest with them. But again, it's not the baby's fault that this happened. And by getting an abortion and by using that to get rid of the situation, you could just be allowing the perpetrator to get away without being held accountable for his actions. These are the realities which we must face. And so I just encourage you to think about life. Think about how precious your life is. Think about how precious the lives of your loved ones are. And thank God because he is the author of life. Ask God what he would have you to do on behalf of life throughout our nation. I think I heard once that there's actually more crisis pregnancies centers right now than there are abortion clinics. I'm not 100% sure of that, but I have heard that, I believe. So that's a good thing. But, Our country is so twisted that you have people like Elizabeth Warren, who's in our Senate, who are saying that we should get rid of crisis pregnancy centers because they're bad for women. But since when is preserving life a bad thing? This whole attitude comes from sin. And the idea in our culture, which was prophesied in the Bible, Jesus knew that this was at the heart of all society for all time because he said, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And this is where we are as a nation. Well, I just want to end today by sharing with you a couple specific passages in the scriptures where God speaks to us of the value of life. And I really want to encourage you to seek the heart of God in this issue. What I have to say 
is of limited to no importance. But what God has to say is very important. And it's my goal every time I come on this podcast to share with you the heart of God. So as we think about this issue of life and as we consider the fact that we actually have three tiers of the sanctity of life in our country because we have 14 states that greatly uphold the sanctity of life, a few others that uphold it to a certain level, and as many as 29 that have no regard for it. We need to make sure that we're not following the crowd. We need to make sure that we're not following our state or our country. We need to make sure that we're following God. And here's what God says about life in his holy word. Three different points I want to make as we close. The first is that we need to have God's view of children. I talked about this a little bit. We need to accept them as the blessing they are. But here's what Jesus himself said about children. In Matthew nineteen thirteen to 15, he said, Then were brought unto him little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed thence. Notice that even in the disciples' day, many viewed children as an inconvenience. But Jesus said, No, suffer them to come unto me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven the next point that I want to bring out is that we need to choose life as a society and particularly as a church we need to have a pro-life Mindset, a mindset that welcomes children, a mindset that loves children, a mindset that does not criticize children for being children, but encourages them. In Deuteronomy 30, 19 to 20, God says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swore unto thy fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give to them. I want you to notice something here. First, God says, I've set before you life and death, therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And then he says that thou mayest love the Lord thy God. And why? Because in order to have a quality life, we need to obey his voice and we need to cleave unto him. Because he is our life. That is so significant. If he, the God of the universe, is our life, why should we choose or condone a path of death like abortion? Why? I will never understand that. Then we see Jesus is the giver of life. John 10.10 The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it 
more abundantly. The world is blinded by the God of this world, the devil, into believing that they are doing a service when they perform abortions on young ladies in crisis. And you know why this is allowed to continue? Because the prince of the power of the air, a.k.a. the devil, hates us. Because he wanted to be like God. He said, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. His goal was to be above all, to take the place of God. And so God kicked him out of heaven. And so when God made us in his image, the devil had no choice but to hate us because he hates God. So surely he would hate anything made in his image. That's his nature. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. See, there's only two choices, either life or death. And we must choose one. Not choosing life is choosing death because the Bible says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We read that if we believe on him, we are passed from death to life. That's the power of God. So I hope this encourages you as you continue in the fight for life. I hope you realize that it's so important to have the proper response to those around us, to show them the love of God, to show them that life is worth living because Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And I hope that the next time you start to get bogged down or maybe a little annoyed by the children around you, and I'm saying this to myself as well, because I have been known to get annoyed by my nephews or nieces or other children. But I hope that we all say to ourselves when we interact with these precious ones that they are a gift from God, that they are the future, that they are His heritage, and that they, like us, are eternal. You see, I used to think about it in terms of the fact that if you were a believer, you would get eternal life. And if you weren't, you wouldn't. And there is truth to that. Because essentially, all we have is life or death. Again, that great question, that great choice between life or death. But I also know that that means that the question is not whether we are eternal, but the question is where will we spend eternity? And it will be one of two places, heaven or hell. But they're both real and they're both forever. So my hope is that you will choose heaven, and that you will choose it today, and that it will change your life forever to choose heaven through Jesus Christ. There's an old saying that a baby is who we send to a future we will never see. And if we would think about it in those terms, I think that we would be blessed and we would have a greater passion for the important topic of the sanctity of life. We're not just talking about a medical procedure. We're not just talking about a clump of cells. We're talking about a person made in the image of God. And as Dr. Seuss once said in the book, Horton Hears a Who, a person is a person no matter how small. Well, that's about all the time I have for you on today's show. I know that it got 
really intense at points. I have a lot of passion for this issue. And I don't apologize for that. Um, I just hope that you will take what was said here, that you will study it out. I will post the CNN article that I got these abortion um, statistics from uh, as far as what the states are doing with this issue on my website so you can look at that on your own time. And I will also encourage you to go to rtl.org, which is the Michigan Right to Life website, Um, and I will put that on the blog as well. I know that every state has a right to life entity and there's also the national right to life. So you can Google for that information as well. And so I hope that this podcast was an encouragement to you to take action about what is important. We are encouraged in Proverbs to speak up for those who have no voice or defense. And so I hope that you and I will continue to speak truth no matter what people think of us. And I hope that you will be encouraged that God has rewards waiting for those who are faithful to him. We are told to lay up our treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt. And certainly, the preservation of human life is one of the greatest treasures in the world. I hope you have a wonderful week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.